Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, April 30th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. That's the shortest opening today. We're going to make them shorter and shorter, folks. Okay, so Scott, how are you? Good to see you. Well, thank you. Good to see you too. I love the kids' drawings behind you. It's, <laughs> it's the nicest backdrop of any Zoom call I do, and I'm doing a bunch of them. Oh, thank you. Okay, so <laughs> well, let's let's start. Earnings week. Yeah, this was a big week for, and and I think you're going to start to read a lot about these five companies. You know, when we talk about the big five, I might throw in a sixth, you know, I might add Tesla. They're coming in with really strong earnings, which tells you a lot about a whole lot of things during this pandemic. You know, they're largely software-based. We're talking about Amazon and Microsoft and Facebook. Uh, they're actually taking money from people who have money, talking about the hardware companies like Apple and Tesla. Yeah. And they're proving, and again, we talked about this all year, this sort of grand experiment of can tech companies keep up their profits, their employment numbers, their stock prices, while really working from home, not just telling the occasional person, yeah, go to the coffee shop or work from home, but really just having everybody at home. And the results are astounding. Profits are way up. Sales are way up. Uh, they've been hiring like crazy, all without putting anybody into their offices. It's extraordinary. Okay, so you see tension coming up between employees and management because management's beginning to, you know, make remarks like, well, yeah, you can go, you can work anywhere, but you better be within, you know, short driving distance of the headquarters or the office or the division. And the employees have got to be saying, wait a minute, look how well we're doing staying at home. Yeah, there might be some uh, tension there. There might also be some tension, given that some of the executives have already said, hey, we're not going to require you to get vaccinated to come back to work. And I wonder how long that will last before people that said, hey, listen, I just spent 14 months taking care yeah. of myself, my family, and anyone that I came in contact with by being careful, by wearing a mask, and then by getting vaccinated. And again, we're doing this not just for ourselves, but for everybody else. And to then say, oh, come on back, we'll sort of have an open hybrid, some vaccines, some not vaccines. I don't know how well that's going to go over either. Yeah, I sense I sense tension, social tension occurring. I'm seeing it already. And it's interesting. I'm walking on my daily walks you know, through the park. I see older people now, a surprising number of not wearing masks and young kids, little kids, people running, still wearing masks. And there's kind of an interesting social dynamic going on there as well. And I'll be interested, you know, I haven't heard anybody yelling at anybody else outdoors about putting a mask on or taking the mask off. You're going to kill yourself. Uh, but there's kind of an edge. You know, you go walking down the sidewalk and there's an edge going on right now during this transition. Right. I mean, you know, we're all either listening to the CDC or some are not listening. And yeah, the Bay Area, where we're broadcasting from, has very few cases of the, the yelling matches, I think, in comparison to some other places. We've sort of been 
in lockstep with the rules. And I think it's worked. Our case numbers have been lower. Right. Close. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to get awkward going forward, I think, just because. And in the office, it's going to get real awkward for a while because that's a tight social setting. Right, right. Okay, so I want to get the numbers down. So Facebook ad revenues are way up. Now, that's interesting because they're, they're kind of getting into this punching match with Apple right now over control over that. And uh, Apple's playing Apple's playing the uh, the great PR game, which is you get to have your choice. You decide, folks. And Facebook is saying, oh, no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> you're getting this. If you're going to go, if you're going to play on Facebook, you're looking at the ads that are, that are paying for it. And that's not going to go down. It's not going to end easily, I think. There's no, no real truce on that, I don't think. No, you know, Apple is. They've both, got, they've got they both got very successful paradigms. It's not like one's losing ground and they're going to give up. Right, and and I don't know. I mean, Facebook has just taken so many slings and arrows through the years, and nothing has dented this company. I mean, they're Teflon. Yeah, it, to to an extraordinary extent. But um, the Apple move is interesting. I've started to see this on my phone when I go to apps, and the warning will pop up saying, "Are you okay with this app?" you know, tracking you essentially for advertising purposes. I, I would encourage everybody out there to read the whole thing before clicking yes or no. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a minor thing, but it's an interesting thing that if nothing else will broaden our knowledge of what's going out there with these apps. When we buy a phone, yeah, we know we're going to be tracked to a certain extent, but I don't think many of us know how many apps will track us. And the biggest one, well, among the biggest ones is Facebook. And uh, so, that's how Facebook gets a lot of its ad revenue is the automatic tracking. And if that goes away, you know, Facebook's already making PR noises about, hey, it won't matter. It won't affect our bottom line. But we don't really know. This latest earning report came before all of the Apple warnings, you know, just yeah. the last few days. So we'll see in three months, in six months. Well, I guess four months. No, quarterly. Three months and then six months. Three months. Three months. Yeah. If we're starting to uh, if we're starting to see any changes. Uh, because of it. But um, my guess is, gosh, I mean, nothing has dented Facebook yet. It's hard to imagine that this will. Now, meanwhile, Apple sales up 54%. You know, the one of the most, what, the most, are they, they're now the most valuable company in the world or they're close. They've always, they've been for the last you know number of years. Sales up 54%. You know, a company that big seeing that kind of growth. I mean, damn. I mean, profits up 110%, which means they're selling a lot of apps. They're not, they're not selling that many. I mean, they're selling a ton of boxes. But when you see profits 110%, that's coming off of software. That's coming off of apps, you know? Well, it's also and coming, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the services numbers are up, and we knew that. And a lot of people expected that would sort of take over for the hardware. But look at the hardware numbers. They're really high, too. Apple is just firing on all cylinders. And some of these numbers, like you say, the growth numbers – only happen with small, you know, startups, right? Exactly. This is Apple. This is a $2 trillion company, the most valuable company in the world. They're doing $90 billion. And and, and yet they're still seeing growth that much. That's. And you must be doing pretty damn well. I mean, doing what a $90 billion share buyback. Right. I mean, to be doing so well, you got ninety billion to burn to tighten up your float. I mean, that's that's just mind-boggling. Right, bigger than most companies' entire value, and this is just their stock buyback. 
It's extraordinary. Whole country's entire value. Is there a statement? (laughs) Okay. um, Let's see. Other tech's strong too, right? I mean, Amazon killed it. Qualcomm. Qualcomm, I was on a... I was on a Zoom call giving a talk about the, the San Diego-Mexican border to go, Tijuana border to go with my book. And I was talking to people from San Diego, and they were saying, we've got to figure out how to get Qualcomm involved in the community. Because there's this, there's this Leviathan down there now, and they've, they're sort of detached from the San Diego area. And uh, I think it's because they're so damn busy making money. They... <laughs> they don't have time for community involvement right now, but there's they're up fifty percent on revenue. That's well, again, incredible. this is uh, right. You know, we've seen the hardware guys like Apple really clean up during the pandemic. Obviously, software. We're all shopping from home, so Amazon's numbers are gigantic. Um, but right as we've talked about recently, don't forget the chips. We are in a chip shortage because of all the hardware that we're buying. Not to mention all right. the that go into things like cars. So Qualcomm is really especially in the mobile market, the kingpin these days. Look oh, yeah, don't they? Stock price over the last few years. Look at NVIDIA. And then, you know, we've talked about AMD's comeback versus Intel. But Qualcomm and NVIDIA, for my money, are just killing it right now. They're winning the game. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, have to, we have to change our, our mental paradigm that they are now the leading companies in that world. You know, we spent 50 years thinking Intel, but it's not Intel anymore. Qualcomm and NVIDIA. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, Google's up, and then not surprising anybody, Shopify's up. I mean, why wouldn't, unless they're completely blowing what they're doing, Shopify has to be up. Right, Right. and and that, unlike Google and Apple and Amazon, is still kind of a smaller growth story, and their trajectory is just just heating up. Um, And again, right, you know why? Everybody's online buying stuff. Uh, I was surprised Ford is profitable. Uh, you can't get your F-150 anymore but uh, and with the chip shortage, but they're doing quite well. It, would, it, it estimated, uh, let's see, it said early it would, it would lower guidance by one to two billion. So they're expecting hard times coming up. So they've, they've burned through their inventory now of chips. And I remember the earnings, right, the earnings are three months prior. And so a lagging indicator, yeah. Right. People were buying some cars and trucks, but now this chip shortage is coming in. Ford is one of, I believe, four car companies this week alone to warn about auto manufacturing slowdowns because of the chip shortage. It just shows you how much any car or truck we buy these days is uh, a tech product. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's four wheels and a bunch in a computer. So, yeah. well, you know, this has got to be rough for these guys because America wants to buy cars right now they've been driving that clunker they haven't put it in the shop you know and now they're they're ready to upgrade to a new car and they can't do it or it's it's becoming harder and harder and this is when the car companies should be making money like crazy i mean this should be 1947 you know i mean all the gis come home and they want cars and uh you know you you just dread missing these profit cycles and the car companies are going to miss this profit cycle. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think we're going to see some moves on their part. As long now that they admit that they're basically computers on wheels, <clears throat> why don't they start designing their own chips? Why don't they even get involved in a fab? I mean, that seems reasonable given the situation they're in. 
you know, some of the uh, the more the car companies that you think of more in a tech sense, like Tesla, have deals in place, and so they've been able to get these chips. But we don't know how long that will last, and and I'm guessing that the other car companies uh, that are not Tesla don't have those deals in place, and maybe they're going to run out a little earlier. And you're right; I think the next couple of profit cycles are going to show just how bad this is hitting. Not your next computer or your next iPad, but your next car. Well, I think this helps the Toyotas and the Mitsubishis and the uh, Kias and all of that, these giant uh, Asian trading companies that have their foot, you know, in cars and pianos and electronics, that they might be able to cross-pollinate that way. Uh, Okay, so... You gave me a note that said, are we going to be able to create a million jobs? Uh, Can we really create a million jobs in April? What do you mean by that? That was sort of Biden's goal. And when it looks at uh, some of the numbers that are coming in, we're seeing job growth. And, you know, the economy is is expected to grow a lot as things come back from the pandemic. And I, I... I don't know how many jobs, you know, in the aggregate will create or lose, but we seem to be on a path to start getting close to adding jobs as opposed to just losing jobs. And um, what I'm thinking of specifically are the small businesses that have been hit so hard. I mean, the tech companies have done fine, but if we can create all those jobs of, you know, barbacks and servers and waiters and, and, you know, the people who lost their jobs because we weren't going to these uh, restaurants and, and cafes, uh, that'll be a big, big way to get our economy back on track because those people will then have spending power. Um, and, and it all sort of comes back to, are we bringing the tech people back to work to then go to those cafes and restaurants? Uh, so it's sort of a cycle. I don't, I don't know how fast that cycle will go. Biden spoke the other night, President Biden seemed to be very optimistic about the month of April. Um, but, you know, as I look at my calendar. Yeah, we're here. We're done. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know exactly. We'll see that the job numbers have been coming in stronger than expected. Uh, certainly stronger than we've seen at pretty much any time during the last 12 to 14 months during the pandemic. And that's a very good sign. I just, you know, the, the on the street, are we seeing those restaurants hiring everybody back yet? I don't know. What, what, what happens when we double the capital gains rate? I mean, it seems to me that, I mean, we've seen historically, I mean, one of the first things Kennedy did was cut capital gains to keep the economy going again. Doubling the capital gains right now seems like a really scary move. It may, but remember, Wall Street during the pandemic separated itself from Main Street even more than ever before. And that's why we've seen these humongous gains throughout the pandemic, even going into a recession. It it doesn't usually work that way. Uh, So I wonder if, yes, a capital gains hike could stifle some inflation or excuse me, some investment, uh, as it often does. Is it going to affect the, the small business? I don't know if that trickle down happens. These tech companies are making so much money. It's not like a capital gains hike is going to mean nobody at Google can afford to go out and eat or take in a concert at Shoreline anymore. That just isn't going to happen. Yeah, but it has macro effects. Yeah. You know? So, and, and again, that, that the capital gains hike hasn't happened yet. Um, right. But it, it will be fascinating if it does to see if there's a, do I dare use the term trickle down effect, but um I, I think when it comes to jobs, the, the focus needs to be on small businesses for a while because those were the ones that really got hit the hardest during the pandemic. Now, have you tried to go out and buy lumber lately? Or, I have not. you know, certain commodities? I mean, someone pointed out that, you know, you want to add a deck on the back of your house. You probably got to sell your car to finance it now. Um, 
there seems to be a lot of inflation going on among commodity products that are not it's not being reported in the official inflation's number that in in daily life we're living <clears throat> with pretty high inflation right now does that stall this too yeah it might um and you know your your example of a deck is is spot on i mean if housing prices continue to be super high as they are here in the bay area people might say, okay, I can't afford to buy a new house, so I'll add on to what I have now because maybe I'm having kids or I want, you know, for whatever reason, I want more room, I want a deck. And that's where you start to see the effects of inflation on commodity prices is people who are going to Home Depot and saying, whoa, I didn't know this was that expensive. And people are starting to say that even now going back to the grocery store um, because things yes. are getting more expensive. And so inflation, if it happens, um, you know, it kind of creeps up on us, right? And then all of a sudden we realize those receipts are higher than they were the last time we did this. Not just the last time we added on a deck, but even the last time we went grocery shopping. And that's something we haven't seen. And I mean, when was the last time we saw inflation? The 70s? Have we seen it? 70s. And you don't want to see it again. Uh, no. Bill David, Bill David, David Al, the great venture capitalist, you know, pioneer of the Valley, my co-author on a couple of books. He always said during great times of economic shift, uh, the people who do really well, are in the building and trades. We don't think about it, but everybody changes their house, you know, the, the look of their lives, and they need things built. And if you go around, if you try to get that new wing built on your house, <clears throat> find a contractor right now. Find construction people. They're working 20 hours a day, and they're backed up six months. I mean, in that world, things are doing incredibly well. So that's always a good sign. When those guys are sitting around and they don't have any work, that's a bad sign. Right now, they're busier than hell. So I don't know quite what it portends, but it's good for those guys. Bully for them. Uh, a lot more, but they can't buy a new pickup. So it's kind of a... <laughs> well, True. Yeah, all right. So I want to talk about Intel a little bit. We've been talking about Intel a lot the last couple months. But it's interesting. There's been a lot of different points of view going on. Uh, there's, uh, we've seen, uh, some, I've seen some analyst article suggesting that, you know, having Gelson there, you're there, is it, he's there at the right moment. Intel's going to make its move. It's terrific, you know, and bet on that company in the future. Uh, but then I hear from Bob Grove. In fact, I've heard from a lot of people because of the stuff we've been talking about. Bob Grove. He points out NVIDIA, who we, the invidious NVIDIA, uh, who we've been talking about, uh, you know, they have their own microprocessor now. They have the gray CPU, and uh, they're going hard and fast at the data center business. Well, didn't we talk a week or so ago about this was going to be Intel's future was the data center business? Well, now they're up against NVIDIA, and AMD's in that market, too. So... And, and I heard from Rich Goldman, you know, our, our favorite guy talking about chips. And he essentially said, Intel, all the, all the strategic opportunities, the pathways out of his per current crisis are closing off fast. And that, you know, no matter how clever and ambitious and hardworking Intel is, it may hit a wall in any direction it goes now. And those windows of opportunity are all starting to close. I'm mixing metaphors, but the windows are starting to close. And um, he said a very, he 
very interesting idea that I had not thought of, which was, why doesn't Intel just get out of fabrication? Why doesn't just... I remember years ago when when IBM said, we're getting out of the mini computer business, we're getting out of the mainframe business, and we're going to get out of it, we're going to sell off PCs, and we're going to become a gigantic technology consulting company. And everybody thought, that's the dumbest idea we've ever heard. There's no money to be made there. Well, look at IBM, okay? What is Intel? A great manufacturer? It's never been a great manufacturer. What it has been has been the leader in innovation in semiconductors. So why, you know, this is Rich's suggestion. Why doesn't it just do that? Why doesn't it just sell off those fabs? The world will love it. And just focus on building for clients and for licensing the most advanced, sophisticated chips in the world. Keep, a, keep their, just they used to have a, a prototype fab lab in Santa Clara, okay? Fired up again just to work on processes, you know, and that sort of thing so they can develop chips that are readily buildable at other fabs and just become the brains of the industry. I mean, we talk many times that if you go one level of abstraction, that's where the winners go. If you can be detached one more, you, you, be, you become less and less physical and more virtual you rise above the rest of the industry and you lead it. And why doesn't Intel do that? Interesting idea, huh? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, Intel is struggling, not just for profits, it's struggling for relevance. I mean, look, if you take Intel's market value and add it to IBM's market value, you're still about $20 billion less than NVIDIA's market value. That's all you need to know yeah. about the relevance of these guys these days. And Intel can do whatever it wants um, but it's like you say, it, it's going to bump up against these walls of companies that simply moved faster than it did to get into mobile, to get into driverless, to get into AI. And Intel is kind of stuck like a big giant ship trying to turn <laughs> and uh, add the fact that it's going against the tide and you have a really tough future uh, for this company. Well, another theory completely opposite is to go all in on Fab, buy TMSC, move its head, bring its headquarters to the U.S. Because, you know, Taiwan's getting to be a scary place right now with Chinese, you know, warships circling it. Uh, keep the big Fab there, bring the, the leadership of the company over here as part of Intel. You know the Feds are going to, that $55 billion that uh, President Biden just announced, you know, that, they, they would love to invest in TMSC building giant fabs in the U.S. So that's an alternative point of view. And as long as we're on this, I want to mention somebody. We always talk about, we don't celebrate enough women in leadership positions in this valley. And there's always been this kind of struggle to get them in there and all that. We may be seeing one of the greatest women executives of all time at work right now, which is uh, Lisa Sue at AMD. I mean, what she has done is magical. And I never see her out there in public. She's, you know, she's not trying to be a high, she's not trying to be Elon Musk, but we need to celebrate this woman. I agree. I mean, you know, I know you love the chips and you know that AMD had the same kind of conversations about how it's going to go away and the relevance. AMD is now a $100 billion company. I think you can say, 
in the sentence you said about the greatest woman CEO, I think you can take away the word woman. Lisa Sue's got to be up there in the greatest CEO in history, especially when it comes to taking a company and actually succeeding in a comeback. I mean, other yes. Steve Jobs, how many CEOs have stepped into no longer relevant companies with not only the big guys like you know Intel kicking them when they're down, but in in looking at Qualcomm and Nvidia and all the the you know modern sexy chip companies also kicking them. She brought them all the way back and uh, and then some and uh, you know rewarding investors, hiring people, um, and really uh, just making this company relevant again, which is. It's very surprising. And and not just turning it around. She took a company that was essentially was founded as a second source for Intel chips. And it was always an also rant. No matter how clever and you know charismatic Jerry Sanders was, he was always chasing Intel. So she's taken a second tier company, turned it around and made it into a market lead, an industry leader of one of the most important industries in the world. I mean, there better be a statue to her you know, be, being poured right now, because that's an extraordinary achievement. Uh, okay, some quick things. Uh, California, uh, let's see, Governor Gavin Newsom has signed legislation that allows California business owners, small businesses, and corporations that got PPP program loans forgiven uh, to deduct expenses they paid with those loans. So he's obviously he's He's running for his political life, but, I, you know, he's going to be throwing a lot of jelly beans and candy out there at everybody. But I think this is a smart one. You know, I think any time you give tax breaks to incentivize, you know, in this case, survival uh, is a good thing. Right. And, and this echoes what, what I think President Biden is doing on, on the larger scale. Um, uh, you know, the, the recall in a lot of ways surprises me because, um, you know, I don't see it having all that many legs simply because of the pandemic stats. I mean, California's the lowest case rate. You know, ultimately, I think the pandemic is what did Donald Trump in. I think uh, the, the opposite, the response to the pandemic is what will uh, keep Newsom in office um, because I think people look at that result uh, as the most important result. And the other things like starting to see jobs coming back and, and that sort of thing, um, you know, not to mention a, a still strong housing market, you know, that there's just, Everything seems to be going his way in the last couple of months. You know, it's hard to argue against that. And I'll, I'll add one more thing. You know, historians, up until the recent pandemic, when they look back at Spanish influenza at the end of World War One, and those, you know, those millions and millions of deaths and everything else, trying to find to research that subject, there was there was a real paucity of material out there. And they came to the conclusion that after World War One, and then the horrors of the Spanish flu, people psychologically forgot the flu epidemic, that you really had to look for it, even though it was this massive event, that there's something about us, about epidemics, pandemics, the Black Death, and that sort of thing. We take it out of our minds once we get out of it, and it's hard to remember which makes me think that when we finally get out of this and come roaring, we're not going to really hold anybody responsible. We're kind of kind of like a void in our memories, you know, as we move forward, racing into the shining future and just abandoning this past. It'll be interesting. I think that's going to have an impact on politics and a lot of things. Just a thought. Uh, 
we heard from the mighty Jordan, uh, our producer. Uh, he sent us some material on the, the I owe you a dollar. I now owe you a dollar officially because the city agreed uh, Wednesday night to Google's proposed new 80-acre campus downtown. So uh, you win. It's going to happen. I, I wouldn't count those chickens yet, but it's likely to happen, yes. It's likely yeah. And the project includes $200 million to help jumpstart the local economy. Uh, so uh, the, the, the city council got to Google to sweeten it a little bit with some cash on the side. There's always a little cash on the side. Uh, I don't want to suggest it's for graft, but uh, there's always some money on the side. Uh, let's see, the plan includes 4,000 housing units, 15 acres of open space, 7.3 million square feet of office space and room for small businesses and restaurants. That's a pretty big deal. That will transform San Jose, but it gives Google a gigantic footprint in the middle of downtown. And uh, I'll be interested in seeing what kind of impact that has on local politics, on the composition of the city council and governments of San Jose when you have something that big moving in. What do you think? Right, and, and they're, they're also building gigantically in Mountain View. I mean, Google is, yeah. for all of its you know moves into other parts of the country because they're a gigantic company, they are really taking ownership of the Bay Area in a big way. And the city of Mountain View has been the tail of the dog of Google for quite a while now. Uh, I wonder if uh, San Jose will be too. It's a much bigger city, but Google's a much bigger company now. So right. we'll see. Now, am I correct... Is we haven't had an Elon story in a while. Is Elon was it last Saturday or is it tomorrow night? He's on Saturday Night Live hosting it. Uh, I think it's the eighth, so I believe it's a week from tomorrow. Yes, so look for more Mother's Day. Elon's Mother's Day, Mother's Day Eve on Saturday Night Live with Miley Cyrus. Yes, with Miley Cyrus. That oddly enough, that seems the right combination. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, Scott. It's going to be, what, 80 degrees? And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.